Park Hopping Podcast number 26. Celebrating 10 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan of DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, the podcast that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that, yep, anybody can have their own podcast. Peter Percival Patterson had a pet pig named Porky. Park Hopping Podcast. Testing. Yeah, that'll work, I guess. Um, Hi, folks. Uh, this is Alan, and, you know, I've been listening to podcasts now for a good number of months. And one thing that's really been getting on my nerves lately is how many podcasters are popping their peas all the time, especially guys like me who have to say park hopping podcast a bunch. So I decided to invest in a little piece of uh, studio hardware like we used to use at AdWorks in Texas where we made radio commercials, and I hopefully will have killed all of the popping of the peas in this podcast. It's not so bad with cheap headphones, but when you play it on a sound system with a subwoofer or a good car stereo system, those uh, popping peas become real obvious. But I digress, and I haven't even started yet. Look what's happening over here. All right, first, a couple of quick emails. Penny in New York writes in, quote, I was listening to your February 2nd podcast and was excited to hear that others had seen the framed picture of Mr. Toad handing over the deed. It's kind of funny because I would have never noticed it unless the ride stopped. Well, we all know how Disney rides tend to stop in the middle of the attraction, end quote. Yeah, it's interesting that Penny points this out, because not everybody's out there on the internet searching for secrets and reading sites and hanging out at hiddenmickeys.org, and there actually are people that discover these things on their own. You know, they look over them and go, hey, is, is that the shape of Mickey Mouse? Or, that sure looks like Mr. Toad handing the deed over to Al. So, congratulations, Penny, for actually finding that on your own. There's a lot of folks like me that only know about it because of the internet. Although if you go and search hiddenmickeys.org, you'll see that I've contributed a whole bunch of hidden Mickeys from uh, Disney's California Adventure because we were out there like the first week it opened and people hadn't found all the hidden Mickeys yet. So that was fun. Janie writes in and says, quote, I just had to let you know how excited I was that you coincidentally had lined up with the mouse pod and the Snow White theme. His idea of doing one movie a week starting with Snow White really excited me, and knowing the amount of information that could be talked about, I knew he couldn't cover it all. It just worked out perfect when you started talking about the Snow White attractions at the park. He focused mostly on the movie and the DVD, and you focused on the attractions. What a perfect combo, so I'm sending my two cents worth. Keep it up. Don't think of it as stealing his idea. Think of it as a team effort. So as one of your 12 listeners, hey, that gives me a lot of pull. That is my two cents, end quote. Well, thanks a lot. I do appreciate that. And maybe I should uh, let the mouse pod guy know that we're actually a team effort now. For anybody who doesn't know, the mouse pod is doing a weekly series where you have to listen to a, a Disney animated feature and then hopefully contribute stories and ideas and comments. It's, it's kind of like group Disney geek movie watching, and it's actually a lot of fun. I'm not really a major fan of the, uh, the, the cartoons and such. I like them, but I don't go out and like collect them or buy them. I'm more of a theme park person, but it really is neat hearing a lot of the details from the movie that inspired rides that I liked. And here's a quick one that's actually kind of scary. Uh, you'll see why in a minute. St. Chris in New Jersey writes in, quote, Don't go into shock here, but your January 26 park hopping podcast was the first podcast I've ever listened to. I was looking for Disney stuff on the iTunes store, hoping against hope that Disney might have finally put some of their Walt Disney World Forever material online, and it coughed up your podcast among the listings, so I gave it a listen. Good stuff. Just stop with the self-deprecation, or I'm going to, like, complain or something. End quote. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. I do appreciate that. Uh, you can complain all you want. I'm still calling it another crappy podcast. Um, as you can see, I've actually been getting a, a lot more emails lately. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if something 
just kicked into higher gear, but the uh, downloads have really, really increased over the last couple of weeks. It may be because I've been doing the side-by-side ride comparisons and folks are finding that interesting. I'm uh, not really sure, to be honest with you. Okay, let's do one more quick one before I get on to today's topic, and this one comes from Andrew in South Florida. Andrew, wow, South Florida? Boy, that must be a heck of a drive to get to Disney World. Try driving from Iowa, Andrew. Quote, I just listened to your two most recent podcasts, and I heard about the three animatronic heads. If only I'd heard of the show a few days before, I could have taken pictures. I went to Disney World last weekend, and I could have sent you some pictures if I knew what to take. Also, I heard you on CoasterRadio.com and WDW Today. Interesting how we both listen to the same podcast, end quote. Actually, it is, and I'm starting to realize I'm hearing a lot of the same names. I swear there's a Steve in England that I've heard mentioned on several podcasts now. I mean, I'm sure there's more than one Steve in England who listens to a lot of the same theme parky podcast. It could happen. Anyway, but yeah, it is kind of a small world, and um, I didn't know anything about WDW today. Maybe they answered my question. I guess I should get caught up. I'm kind of backlogged right now. Anyway, the, the thing about the three animatronic heads, what I'm trying to do is find out if the animatronic uh, heads from the Country Bear Jamboree that are hidden away in Winnie the Pooh in California are the same figures that hung on the wall at the bar in California, which were not animatronic, or if they're actual figures from the theater like Disney has said they are. And I've been trying to find various pictures of the animatronics in their null state when they're not moving to see if that matches the ones that are hidden away in Pooh, or specifically some of the ones that were in the, um, the, the little food and drink area in Critter Country at Disneyland before they remodeled it and turned it into a big Pooh store. So... By the way, there's going to be one more installment about the Winnie the Pooh Country Bear Jamboree thing coming up. I'm just waiting for a few more little things to go. Okay, now I've digressed enough. Oh, except for this thing. I've got a copy of the Jim Hill Media Productions of uh, Jeff Lang's Fantasyland Classics DVD. It's a home movie compilation DVD that uh, Jeff put together, and it has video from Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, as well as things like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and the Skyway, a lot of stuff that's gone. And this is real timely because I was asked some questions about Mr. Toad to do a comparison. So I've got a copy of this DVD now, and I'll kind of do a review of it in a show coming up real soon. So, okay, now, now, now I'm done, for real this time. I don't, I don't think they believe me. So here we go. Pirate perceptions. <clears throat> now, perception is a funny thing. One person may find Disneyland the hands-down superior park, while another may think that Florida's Magic Kingdom is clearly superior. Now, this is nothing new. And even when there's a scoring system like, oh, I don't know, a sporting event. Um, so that's a Super Bowl reference. With one team clearly being the winner, there's always going to be people who prefer the statistically worse team. 
Even when it's clear that something is more popular, it doesn't mean that it's better. You, know, you can just listen to the number one song on the music charts right now, or any time, or listen to the debates after any political election, and you can see that, you know, in order for there to be a winner, there has to be a loser. The key to this is perception. Now, perception is not fact. In fact, Dictionary.com says it is, quote, the process, act, or faculty of perceiving, end quote. Now, don't you love it when a definition to a word uses another form of the same word in its definition? I love that. Um, perceiving means, quote, to become aware of directly through any of the senses, especially sight or hearing, end quote. Now, I'm sure you've heard the statements, the eyes do not lie or seeing is believing, but it only takes seeing a really good magician to understand that perception isn't necessarily fact or, or true or, or real. Now, I perceive this podcast to be entertaining, but even the most popular podcast, which you know would have tens of thousands more listeners than the most popular Disney fan podcast, well, it's still only being listened to by a tiny fraction of a percentage of people who listen to the current Top 40 radio hit. Statistically, podcasts are pretty insignificant, but even a crappy podcast with a tiny listener base of, oh, I don't know, say 20 people, can be perceived as something great, or, or at least good. Think about someone growing up right now being exposed to podcasts, you know, through their mom and dad instead of Top 40 Radio. They might grow up loving podcasts the same way a sports fan might love their home team, even if neither is really good. Well, today I want to talk a little bit about perception and how it relates to what makes a classic Disney attraction, well, classic, basically. We think of classics and we think of things like 1920s black and white movies or 1950s TV shows or something written by William Shakespeare, but in their time they were new and unknown. Casablanca was just the latest release at the local cinema and I Love Lucy was just some brand new sitcom starring an established movie actress. And, um, well, Shakespeare was just some new writer trying to get a break. Only with the passing of time can something stand the test of time and become a classic. When I first visited Disneyland around 1976, I was exposed to a park with Mission to Mars, Adventures Through Inner Space, and The People Mover, you know, all these classic Tomorrowland rides. Now, today, none of them exist, and things that were part of Disneyland from day one of my experience have been taken away. Now, how can they do this? Those rides were classics. To me, what about the people that liked the things that were there before the rides that I liked were built? Anyway, the same thing can be said at the Magic Kingdom in Florida with If You Had Wings and the Mickey Mouse Review and stuff like that. My, per my perception of the Disney parks is based on seeing the parks in the 1970s, and it's enhanced more so through the 1980s when I made more frequent visits on family vacations. Now, attractions like uh, Mr. Toad in Florida are long gone for someone like me, but there's children that are growing up riding the mini adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And they weren't even born when Toad was, Toad was around. To them, Mr. Uh, Toad's Wild Ride is just going to be something they read about years later on some Yester Disney World tribute website. And Pooh is going to be part of their perception of what Walt Disney World is all about. Now, I, I mention this today because of the recent official announcement about the updates that are going to be done at Pirates of the Caribbean in California and Florida. I'm not going to rehash the news since it's been talked about in rumors for a year or more, and I already covered it last week on my Kingdom Herald test podcast the day the press release went out. Oh, and speaking of shameless plugs, if you're interested in hearing about Disney theme park news as it breaks, search for Kingdom Herald in the iTunes Music Store or visit anothercrappypodcast.com and subscribe. 
I try to post updates when anything interesting happens, but I warn you, the problem with that is by the time you get around to hearing a regular show like this one talk about the same subject, the news is going to kind of seem like a rerun. But I digress. Okay, back to changing Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, I fully expect there's going to be a lot of debates, online petitions, tribute sites popping up in protest of Disney daring to change such a classic attraction as Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, after all, it's the last attraction that Walt Disney personally supervised, right? Well, that doesn't even apply to the Florida version since it wasn't even planned to be part of the Magic Kingdom, and it was added a few years later due to guest demand. So it's, it's, uh, it's a classic because if Walt worked on it, you know, that line's not going to apply to anywhere except for California. And you can't even say it's a classic because it's always been there since it wasn't part of the original Magic Kingdom lineup or the Disneyland lineup for that matter. It's kind of hard to believe that at one time Pirates was the new big e-ticket at both parks and that no one had ridden it yet. It's also kind of hard to uh, realize there are people out there that have never used an e-ticket. Anyway, the California original went away a long, long time ago. Now, the ride is still there, of course, but, but I mean the original version. There have been countless updates to the attraction over the years, with new effects, new lighting, new dialogue that's been added to the rides. Audio animatronics have evolved and been updated. Um, oh, with the most apparent examples being in California, like uh, Disney. Disney likes to say that every time a new animatronic technology is created, they update the auctioneer figure in California. In a way, it's like colorizing an old movie, you know, taking what was there and making it more true to life, or I guess taking an old recording and reprocessing it into stereo. And I'm sure we've all heard about the debates over colorizing old movies. Well, here's an example. In 1967, when Pirates first opened at Disneyland, the dunking scene where the mayor's being dunked, it was uh, being led by a pirate that had one hand holding a sword and the other hand was leaning against the well. So neither hand had like, you know, fingers that moved or whatever. I guess this might have saved him some money, but at some point in the last 39 years, that figure got upgraded and received two working arms. The classic figure with the classic pose of leaning over to the well is, is gone. But you can still buy a postcard in the Pieces of Eight shop that shows the original pirate. So I guess in that way, the classic lives on as a souvenir. Changes like this were minor, and probably only of concern to the most die-hard purists who even noticed them. It's kind of like seeing a Broadway musical and noticing that they've altered the choreography of a big dance number. Now, whether or not the new dance routine is better is back to the original debate. It's, it's all perception. They could simplify the dancing, but people might perceive it as something more entertaining. And yeah, I know, you're perceiving that I'm using these words to extreme levels, and I have an English friend, English major friend, who's happy to point that out too, but that's not the point. I guess the point is what we see as a classic is only based on our personal perception. If Disney were to suddenly change all that dunking well pirate uh, animatronics out and limit his motion back to how he was designed originally, I expect there'd be complaints about the changes to that scene and how cheap Disney is getting downgrading the animatronics. Uh, the biggest change to Disneyland's pirates was during the, when was it, 1996? It was an update where a few new figures were added to the ride. After Epcot's World of Motion closed down, um, some of the animatronics were relocated to California and dressed up like pirates. There was a pirate sitting on a barrel holding a basket of fruit, and he can be seen kind of turning left and right while the basket of fruit turns to the right and left, and he's trying to keep the food away from a horse on one side and a goat on the other that reach over trying to bite the the apple or the fruit or whatever's in the in the uh, basket. And in the final scene, where you're about to go up the ramp and go back to the unload area, there's two pirates that were added that are trying to push and pull an overflowing bag of treasure up the ramp. These additions alone probably aren't that bad, but there were some major show scenes elsewhere in the ride that were altered. 
In the original version, after the winch auction, there was a classic scene that showed a pirate chasing a winch, then another pirate chasing a winch, and then in the final punchline, there was a heavyset winch chasing a pirate. And the, that was a joke that was actually altered many, many years ago, but I don't remember exactly when. If anybody knows, it'd be nice to know when they made that change. Because the figures were switched so that each scene was a woman chasing the pirate, and that classic joke was removed. And it's a pretty major change because it spoiled a whole comic element that was built into that scene involving, you know, a number of animatronics. But I, I doubt that this got nearly the publicity that it would today, you know, in the pre-internet days when people weren't so well connected. In this post-internet society, things are pretty different. There were many complaints when this long-altered scene was altered again to have the men carrying plates of food with the plot alluding to the fact that they were being chased over food and it wasn't, you know, chase, you know, pirates chasing women or whatever. Disney made changes to be more politically correct, they said, and oh no, we said, and oh no, is right. I mean, the we're selling women auction scene still remains to this day, and it's far more politically incorrect than men chasing women. Uh, and the men chasing women gag was replaced a long time before this so-called politically correct update was done to pirates. So there's a lot of people that think Disney may have actually stirred up the pot on purpose and uh, done something like this, leaked out the PC uh, stuff just to basically get some extra uh, extra publicity for this 30-year-old attraction. you know, or, or maybe just modern Disney fans like to overreact, and, or maybe it's a combination of both. I don't know. But the way... Uh, but, oh, yeah, by the way, some of these figures were also changed in the Florida version because there was some dialogue that was re-recorded for a pirate sitting in front of a barrel. In the original pirate, which was voiced by the Haunted Mansion ghost host Paul Freeze, he would be talking about the lovely lass he was trying to find while behind him in a barrel a woman's head would pop up now and then with the illusion that she was naked because the pirate was holding, like, a, a dress in his hands. And the pirate would ask for us to help find her, and he would comment, I'd be willing to share, I'd be, stuff like that. And both Disneyland and Disney World had that, but the dialogue got changed. It was changed in Florida at some point to a pirate holding a map, and he was talking about finding an X on the map, though the woman remained behind him in the barrel, so I, I don't know what that was about. In the 90s update in California, the dialogue was changed again to be talking about food to fit in with a new gluttony scene. So instead of a woman in the barrel, you know, a cat pops up today. I hate at least there's still a dog that barks at a barrel. So that's three different bits of dialogue for the same pirate that I've personally heard. I mean, how many more were there? I, I don't know. I guess my point is that changes have been going on in Pirates of the Caribbean for a very long time. And if Disney were to suddenly restore a lot of the audio back to the original versions, we wouldn't recognize it. It might seem like a pretty jarring change. I can see the petitions now. How dare they change so much dialogue? So anyway, I'm looking forward to the updates that are going to add elements from the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And, and we know Disney hasn't spent a lot of money on updates over the last couple of years, so I don't expect we're going to see anything really major here. It's just going to be minor things. I mean, we're going to miss the altered dialogue and the dunking scene when it's changed to them trying to get the mayor to tell them where Captain Jack Sparrow is. And I'm sure seeing the face of, our, of Barbosa on the pirate ship in the battle scene that's attacking the uh, fortress, I'm sure that's going to be a shock after so many years of watching the red-coated pirate with the pretty bow tie in his beard. I'm also betting that there's going to be some more audio changes in the caverns before the big battle scene to kind of bring us up to speed on what's about to happen. And I guess the one thing that I, I hope is that with Jack Sparrow being such a high-profile character, we're at least going to see the addition of some high-tech animatronics instead of reusing some of the remaining uh, limited motion figures from the old Epcot attractions. I mean, they probably still have a bunch of figures from Horizons in a warehouse somewhere.
But, you know, this is all just based on my perception. Perhaps some of the scenes that I consider to be classics were scenes that got updated a long time ago, and those updates annoyed my parents because they were changing what was classic to them. Perception is a funny thing. We're pirates and we're pirating. We've got a treasure map. We'll follow it to land and dig into the sand. And then we'll take a nap. We're pirates and we're pirating. Seen every pirate film. We love the Disney ride, got a winch right by our side. The captain's at the helm. I want to spend a little time comparing both Pirates of the Caribbean as it currently appears at Disneyland in California and Pirates of the Caribbean as it appears, or at least appeared in 1999, at the Magic Kingdom in Florida. But I don't want this to be a 45-minute podcast. So I'm going to save that for the next episode where we're going to be doing a side-by-side comparison of both Pirates attractions, talking about some of the things that were recreated very closely, and also some of the scenes that exist only in Florida or only in California. Probably also going to comment a little bit about the Pirates of the Caribbean movie and some of the elements in that movie that were taken directly from scenes found only in California. So that'll give you a little something to look forward to or to fast forward through when the Park Hopping Podcast continues. So the next time you're there, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again or just get changed and changed and changed time and time again until they finally add Johnny Depp to the attraction. And on that note, I think it'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse over 29,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the Disney parks. And if you want to drop me a note, my email address is alan, that's A-L-L-E-N, at DisneyFans.com, or podcast at DisneyFans.com if you insist. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 26, Piratey Perceptions. Thanks for listening. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting podcasts.